Deal or no deal? When you break a deal with someone, sometimes there are severe consequences. You know, when we break a deal when we were younger with our parents, like, all right, if I do all my chores this week, you're going to buy me this. And then we start out good, a little bit down the road, we maybe didn't make our bed, didn't empty the dishwasher, and the consequences of that deal that was broken was now you do not get the reward because you broke the deal. One deal in the Bible led to death. If they would have kept their deal, if they would have kept their deal with God, they would have lived on forever in a perfect and beautiful place. Yes, we're talking about Adam and Eve. Go ahead and open up your Bible, your iPad, your iPhone, however you're following along, to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse number 15. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So he put him in there to tend to it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest of it, thou shalt surely die. Sounds like a good deal to me. Hey, whatever you do, do whatever you want, eat whatever you want. Because pretty much to me that sounded like, hey, you're going to live forever. But when you eat of this tree, that's when you're going to die. We're going to look at chapter 3 now, starting in verse 1. Here's where Eve comes in. It says, now the serpent was more subtle. Now the serpent was more sneaky than any other beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So he's like, hey, did God tell you you can't have anything to eat? And she said, no, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said you shall not eat of it. Neither shall you touch it. So not just eat it. Don't even touch it. That's the first place where we start to get into sin. We start looking in places where we shouldn't be looking. Don't even touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, when she looked at it and was like, wow, that is a very nice piece of fruit. That looks so delicious. And it was pleasant to her eyes. And the tree desired to make one wise. She took the fruit thereof and did eat. And she also gave it to her husband, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened, And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and he said, Where art thou? 
And he said, I heard the voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said unto him, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I told you not to eat of? And the man said, My wife. It was my wife's fault. She gave the fruit to me. It's all her fault. And God looked at the woman and said, Is this true? What did you do? And the woman again said, Hey, it's not my fault. Satan gave me the fruit. He tricked me. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt eat all the days of my life. And I will put enemy between thee and the woman, he said to the man, and thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise thy heel. And unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth child, and the desire shall be thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the trees which I have commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of, cursed is the ground. Because you ate of this tree, you are going to have to work so hard now to get your fruits and to get your vegetables. Before... It was a perfect garden. All he had to do was go and pick what he needed. But now he's going to have to work day in and day out to get what he wants. Verse 18. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And in the sweet of thy face thou shalt eat bread, till you return unto the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also he and his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. And the Lord said, Behold, the man is come as one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand, and take also the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth into the garden, to till the ground from where he once took it. So he drove out the man and he placed him at the and he placed at the east of the garden Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. I think Adam and Eve's problem was they couldn't stand up for what they believed in. Just like you and me. We know right from wrong. That was their first mistake. They looked at that fruit and they said, you know what? If I eat of this, it'll make me happy. And God does want me to be happy. And what about Adam? When Eve said, here, here, hubby, have this. Adam's problem, he was too much of a wimp to stand up to his wife. And unfortunately, we see that not just in the world, but in the church today. Men who are not willing to take a stand. Well, if my wife, you know, fulfilled my needs, I wouldn't have an affair. Well, you know, if work wasn't so stressful, I wouldn't drink so much. You know, I never had a good relationship with my father. That's why I'm so closed off. Men 
are not standing up for what they believe in. Men, we need to be, we need to stop being MIA and we need to be MIA. Let me break that down for you. We need to stop be missing in action and we need to be men in action. You are called to lead your wife. Step up, lead your wife, and lead your family. If Adam would have been there right next to his wife, he probably could have said, Eve, don't touch that. God told us not to. But he didn't know how to lead. Just like so many of us today, Adam and Eve, they were afraid of what the serpent thought of them. Maybe we're afraid of what people would think of us. Well, what if they know I'm a Christian? What if they know I read the Bible? But you know what? It shouldn't matter what the world thinks. And I know it's easy to say, but it's so hard to live. It's so hard to say, I don't care what the world thinks of me. I care what Jesus thinks of me. Because if I'm honest, I do care what a lot of people think of me. I want to be out there. I want people to look at him and be like, wow, he's very nicely dressed. That's a nice guy. He's smart. But if it causes me to sin, then that's the problem. Which brings me to my first point if you're taking notes. Adam and Eve's problem. Whatever makes me happy must be right. And whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. People say this all the time. Well, God just wants me to be happy. I'm doing this because God wants me to be happy. Well, I'm here to tell you that the Bible doesn't say that. It's a misconception. Let me tell you the problem with that. Say this. Say this. If God doesn't want you happy if it causes you to do something sinful or unwise. Think about this. Say your kid's out there playing on a sports team. And they kick the winning goal in soccer. You are so happy for them. But then they go by the other team and they flip them off. Suddenly, you shouldn't be so happy for them because their decision was sinful and unwise. Another word for unwise, I would say, is stupid. God doesn't want you happy if you're doing something stupid or dangerous or harmful to yourself. Me and my brothers, we used to climb out on the roof all the time back where we lived in Pennsylvania. And it was 15 feet high. And so the house that my parents live out now, a few years ago, uh, we decided, me and my brother Chad, we decided to climb out on the roof. But we were happy. What's wrong with this? And we're like, oh, we should probably jump off and get down, you know. It's 15, 20 feet high. It'll be fun. It'll make us happy. Well, that was all good. Until when I stepped to the edge and I went to jump. And my foot got caught on the gutter. And I came down not in the way that I wanted to. After rolling on the ground for a few minutes, I was not happy anymore. God wants us happy, but not when it causes us to do something sinful or unwise. People say, well, Psalms 97 says, May all who are godly be happy. 
So what do you mean God doesn't want me happy? If you believe that God wants you happy, then you must believe that whatever it makes me unhappy must be wrong. If God just wants me happy, then you have to believe that whatever makes you unhappy must be wrong. And I'm here to say that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Just because you are unhappy does not mean that God is against you. Just because you are unhappy with your job and you have a family to support doesn't mean you should go in and quit because you think it will make you happy. No, that is not a wise decision. Number two, we start to believe that discomfort, delay, risk, suffering, inconveniences, and obstacles can't possibly be God's will. So we start to believe that, hey, because this is an inconvenience to me, because my car broke down, oh man, God just doesn't want me happy. Because I lost my job, well, God doesn't want me happy. We start to believe that if something isn't going right, then God must not be working in my life. If I'm not happy, then... Why is God here? He's not making me happy. And number three, without knowing it, we begin to worship the false gods of comfort, money, pleasure, and things. If I believe all else God wants me happy, one day I will worship the false gods of comfort, money, pleasure, and things. Here's the problem with that. When we believe that above all else, God wants us happy, suddenly we are forced that, to believe that God exists to serve us. If God wants me happy, then He is supposed to serve me. And we have to understand this. Don't miss this. This is important. God does not exist to serve us. We solely exist to serve God. God does not exist to serve us. So stop making God your vending machine. He's not here to serve you. We reduce God, the creator and sustainer of the earth, down to a Coke machine. Basically, if I put in my money and I press the buttons, I've done my part. I've done my part of that vending machine. Contractually, the machine must give me exactly what I asked for. Literally, without knowing it, we say, you know what? I've said my prayers. I went to church. I try to do good things and not the bad things. I put a little money in the offering. I helped an old lady across the street. I dodged my neighbor's cat when it was in the road. I've done all of these good things. God, my headaches should go away. God, I did all these good things. The girls should go out with me. God, I did all these good things. I should get that job because I want to be happy. I should get that dream house because it would just make me and my family so happy. I put the money in. I pressed the buttons. Therefore, God, you should do what I want you to do. Here is the tragedy of that misbelief. 
So many people end up walking away from God and the church for totally and completely the wrong reasons and the wrong beliefs. They say, I tried church. It didn't make me any happier. I tried religion and it didn't work. I tried the God thing. I read for the Bible. I'm not any better off financially. My kids still fight. I still have cancer. My kids are still rebellious. It didn't work. It didn't make me happy. If you believe that God exists to make you happy and you're not happy, it forces you to believe that God failed. But God did not, has not, and never will fail. We started with the wrong thought process. And that's where sin always starts. In your mind. And it leads to a very dangerous place. God doesn't want you happy when it's just based on the things of this world. Just like Adam and Eve. They wanted to partake in something they knew they shouldn't. But they didn't want to pay the consequences. They tried to hide and cover it up. Excuse me. And what happens when we try to cover up sin? We end up lying. And lying again. And lying again. And eventually, those lies become truths to us. And we don't even know what the truth is anymore. If you don't want the fruits of sin... Stay out of the devil's orchard. How many of us want something good, but when we get it, we find out it's bad? If you don't want the fruits of sin, stay out of the devil's orchard. So if God doesn't want me happy, Pastor Luke, if you're saying God doesn't want me happy, then what does he want me? I was here Wednesday night preparing for this sermon. And I believe I heard Steve out in his class talk a little bit about this. What God wants us. 1 Peter, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 13. While I do know that God delights in our happiness, His happiness is not our highest priority. Starting in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. It's not talking about just not being drunk. It's talking about everything that's in your mind. And it's talking about, it's referring back to Philippians. I'm going to turn there. Philippians 4. It tells us what our minds should be like. Philippians 4. We're going to start in verse 8. It says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true... Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So when it's talking about being sober-minded, it's not just talking about not being drunk. It's talking about everything that's in your mind. You can be drunk on stupid thoughts. 
says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Do not be conformed to the passions of your formal, former stupidity before you came to Christ. We can look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, where it says, I beseech you, brethren, I urge you, listen closely, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, ye also be holy in all your conduct and your actions. Starting in 16, it says, Since it is written. Since this has been said before in the Old Testament. A few weeks ago, I know Pastor read a verse, and, it's, and Jesus even said, It says, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So even Jesus was quoting Scripture. If even Jesus was quoting Scripture from the Old Testament, how much more important is it for us to learn Scripture? You may say, well, you know, Jesus was Jesus. He was God. Yes, He was, but He was also man. You don't think Jesus didn't face temptations? We already learned that He faced temptations with the devil You don't think that he faced temptations with probably these schoolgirls coming up to him and be like, wow, his daddy's a carpenter. Carpenters have strong hands. He's going to be a strong man. I guarantee you, Jesus faced just about every temptation that you and me face. It's important to read your Bible and memorize the Word. We learned in our discipleship class for two weeks why. That way we can put on the full armor of God and we can take our sword of the Spirit and we can stand up against the devil and say, Devil, I'm not going to do this because God's Word tells me not to. Back to verse 16. I need some help with this. It says, You shall be, what's the next word? Holy. For what? I am holy. So God doesn't want us happy as much as He wants us holy. Like I said, it was referring back to Leviticus. There's four times in Leviticus where it says, Be holy, be holy. For sake of time, I'm not going to go through all four. But Leviticus 20, verse 7 and 8 says, Sanctify yourselves therefore. So it says, Sanctify yourselves. Set yourselves apart. You are different from the world. You need to act like it. Sanctify yourselves therefore and be holy for I the Lord your God. And I shall, and ye shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord which will sanctify you. We need to set ourselves apart and not be conformed to this world like I just quoted out of Romans. We need to be transformed and sanctified. Above all else, God's highest calling in your life is not your happiness. And I will argue that with all my heart. God doesn't want you happy. He wants you blessed. And there's a huge difference. Huge difference. 
Happiness is based on happenings. And if my happenings aren't right, then I won't be happy. Blessed life is based on His goodness and His presence. All the time, you see it, I don't see it so much all the time anymore, but people used to just take a picture of themselves or with something like, new car, blessed. No, that's a happening. The Greek word that's translated the word blessed is markeos. And it actually means supremely blessed or more than happy. Being blessed is so much more than being happy. God wants you more than happy. The problem is this. God wants you blessed. And most people think that means more money, perfect health, a better car, a bigger house, and so on. But that's not what a blessed life is. When God wants you blessed, it doesn't mean that you won't have a bad day. It doesn't mean that your kids won't fight. And it doesn't mean that your car isn't going to break down. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get a zit before prom. These things happen. What it means is this. In the goodness, the goodness of God in the middle of the difficulties of life. Being blessed is God doing good to you just because he wants to do good to you. You can't achieve a blessed status. I relate being blessed to like favor. You can't achieve it. It's just something that God gives to you. Your happiness and the blessings are not based on the perfect pain-free life. God never promises us that. In fact, in John 16, we know it says this, In this world, you will have troubles. If there is one promise from the Bible that I can say, I guarantee this is going to happen, it's going to be that one. You are going to have problems. But what about the end of the verse? It says, But take heart, because I, the Lord God, have overcome the world. I've read the end of the Bible, and I know what happens. The problem is this. We're looking for a pain-free, perfect life. And if we don't have it, then we start to blame God. When the reality is, God wants to be active in our pain-filled life. Because we live in a sinful and broken world. Just because you're blessed doesn't mean you're not going to have trials. It doesn't mean you're not going to feel weak. And it doesn't mean there's not going to be storms in your life. In the middle of the storm, you could have a blessing. What is a blessing? The blessing is this. The supernatural peace of God that goes beyond your human ability to ever, to ever understand or comprehend. So being blessed is in this hard time. God is still putting his hand on you. Because he loves you. That peace should guard your heart and your soul. Some of us today 
her in the middle of a storm. And in an instant, in a moment, the peace of God can move in your heart. And that is a blessing. And suddenly, suddenly you recognize, I can trust God, even in the middle of a storm. You can be in the middle of a trial, and you never choose to go in what you're going through. You don't feel like you can handle it. But for some reason, the presence of God that you have is just joy and joy unspeakable. That's what the Bible calls it. And this joy, it wells up deep inside of us. People may look at you like, how do you have so much joy? How are you so happy all the time? And the only way you can look at them and say, it's only from God. God's the only reason I have this joy. You've been through enough trials to recognize that you never choose them. But God says, I am conforming you into the image of Christ. And I will bless you. In Psalms 37, David said this, We are to delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That word delight comes from a Hebrew word. Hebrew words are like story words. There's so much meaning and so much depth depth to them. It means to enjoy. It carries with the idea that being made soft and pliable. In other words, like it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when you seek God first and you strive to be righteous, then that's when he will bless you and all these things will be added unto you. It's not just... Well, I'm reading the Bible. Bless me, God. No, you need to to truly strive for righteousness. I'm going to explain it like this. I have a little story, and then I'm going to close. Max Lucado told a story, and I'm going to try and make it my own. He said this. He said, if you take a fish, and you take that fish out of water, is that fish happy? Is that fish happy? If you take a fish out of water, fishermen, is that fish happy if you take him out of water? No. What about this? What if you take that fish out of water and you give him a big wad of cash? $100,000. Is that fish happy? No. What if you give the fish a lounge chair, a Corona beer, and a Playfish magazine? Is that fish happy? I know, some of you are confused. You're like, wow, look at the gills on those. Are those real? But is that, no, honestly, is that fish happy? If you take them out of water and give them all that, is that fish happy? No, no. Why you take that fish out of water, he's going to be up there like this because the fish was not created for the beach. The fish was created for water. So where are you going with this, Pastor Luke? You are not created for earth. You are created for heaven. And you are created for eternity. 
The earth is here and it is just a blip. You're here for a little while and then you're gone. You are created to glorify the God of the universe. Again, he is not here to serve us. We are here to serve him. Therefore, you need to lower your expectations of earth. No new house, no new job, no new person is going to satisfy that God whole shaped in your heart. That only he can fill. You can be everything God has created you to be. We were all born messed up. That's why we need to be born again. Christianity is not, I'm bad and Jesus makes me good. No, Christianity is, you are dead and you are in need of spiritual resurrection. We are all born dead and need to be born again. Jesus cleans our messes. God loves you right where you are, but his love, when you truly accept it and you truly recognize it, his love will not leave you the same. You owe a debt you can't pay. But Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe. I've got this spoken word. I'm going to try and do it as well as the author propaganda that I've seen do it. And it's going to go through pretty quickly and you're not going to be able to pick up on everything. But I want you to really listen closely to this. Here's what it says. It's it's the full story of life crushed into four minutes. The entirety of humanity in the palm of your hand crushed into one sentence. Listen, this is intense, right? Here's what the gospel stands for. God, our sins, pain, everyone, life. God, yes, God, the maker and giver of life. And by life, I mean all matter and substance, seen and unseen. What can and can't be touched. Thoughts, image, emotions, love, Adam's oceans. God. All of his work and his handiwork. One of which is masterpiece. Made so uniquely that angels looked so curiously. The one thing in creation that was made with his imagery. The concept so cold, that's the reason I stay bold. How God breathed into man and he became a living soul. Formed with the intent of being infinitely, intimately fond with the creator and an eternal bond. And it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong. A species got so deceived and started lusting for his job. An odd list of complaints as if the system ain't working. And we use that same breath that God gave us so graciously to curse him. And that sin spread through our soul. And by nature of nature, your species, yes you, you participated in this mutiny. Our Yes, our sins. It's nature uninherited, lack in the human heart. It was over before it started. Deceived from day one and led away by our own lust. There's not a religion in the world that doesn't agree that there is something deeply wrong with us.
The question is, how do we fix it? Are we eternally separated from a God that may or may not existed? But that's another subject. Let's keep grinding. Besides, trying to prove God is like defending a lion. It doesn't need your help. Just open the cage. Let's move on to how our debt can and was paid. Short and sweet. The problem is sin. Yes, sin. It's a cancer. It's an asthma choking out the life force. Forcing separation from a perfect and holy God. And the only way to get back to perfection, and we keep trying, but silly us, trying to pass this course of life without referring to the syllabus. This is us. Keep up your good deeds. Chant, pray, meditate. But all of that course is like spraying cologne on a corpse. Of course, you could just choose to ignore it as if something don't stink. It's like stepping in dog poop and refusing to wipe your shoe. But all of that ends with how good is good enough. Take your silly list of good deeds and line them up against Jesus, the author of perfection. Good luck. That's past your pay grade. The cost of your soul ain't got a big enough piggy bank. But you could give it a shot, but I suggest you throw away the list. Because even if your good acts, there's still an extension of your selfishness. But here's where it gets interesting. And I hope you closely listen. Listen, please don't get this twisted. It's what makes our faith unique. Here is what God says is a part A of the gospel. You can't fix yourself. Quit trying. It's impossible. Sin brings death. Give God his breath back. You owe him. Eternally separated. And the only way to fix it is for someone to die in your place. And that someone has to be perfect. So if and when you find a perfect person... Get him or her to willingly trade their perfection for your sin in death. And clearly, since the only one that can meet God's criteria is God himself, God sent himself, Jesus, to pay the cost for us. His righteousness, his death, function as payment. Yes, payment. They wrote a check And it cleared with the resurrection. Pierced feet. Pierced hands. Bloodstained son of man. Fullness. Forgiveness. Free passage into the promised land. The same breath God breathed into us. God gave up to redeem us. And anyone and everyone. And by everyone I mean Everyone who puts their faith and trust in Him and Him alone can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness. And here's what the promise is from God. That you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity by simply and believing in Christ 
in Christ alone. You can receive life. Yes, life. This is the gospel. God our sins pain everyone life. In the beginning I read a quick verse but I didn't give you the whole verse. Psalms 97.12 where people says, well it says may all who are godly be happy. Well here's the rest of the verse. It says happy in the Lord and praising His holy name. Happiness is never going to be found in the happenings of this earth. Happiness is only ever going to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's much deeper than happiness. It's blessings. It's joy unspeakable. It's peace. It's His power. It's His presence. It's an eternal calling. Deal or no deal. Deal or no deal. The deal of salvation is the deal of a lifetime. We need to lower our expectations of earth because we are not created for earth. We are created for heaven. God doesn't want you happy when it causes you to do something sinful or unwise. God doesn't want you happy when it's only based on the things of this world. God has something far better for you. God wants you blessed. He wants you more than happy. Tapping into His goodness that no matter what, and in no matter what, God is working for the good who love Him and are called according to His purpose. You owe a debt you couldn't pay. Jesus paid a debt He didn't owe. And He paid that debt for you. Father God, we thank You for this deal that You have given to us. We thank You for the deal of salvation. And now it's up to us. It's us, up to us to decide whether we accept the deal or not. Maybe you have accepted the deal. Maybe you did one time say, God, I love you. Forgive me of my sins. Transform me. But have you gone back on that deal? Have you gone back on that deal where you said, I am going to live for you? I am sold out for you, God. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. How many of us around here have gone back on that deal? Are no longer walking with Christ. That debt that Jesus paid, it's not even in our minds anymore. Because we're living for ourselves. Because we want to be happy. God, we ask now that you just reach down. 
Put your arm around us, Father. Let us recognize what you did for us on that cross. Let us recognize what kind of awesome deal we can have. The deal of eternity, of living with you. And while we may not always be happy, we will be blessed because you are the giver and the taker. We ask this in your holy and gracious name. Amen.